Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. Rejection is one of those universal human experiences that we are all unfortunately familiar with, but we can all deal with it very differently. It never feels good, let's be honest, and sometimes it can feel a lot worse than that. Talking about rejection often brings to mind a relationship, getting dumped, ghosted or consciously uncoupled from. There are many different ways to approach rejecting someone, but no matter how gentle you're trying to be, for most of us, initially at least, it's a blow that can't be softened. But of course it's not just in relationships where we feel the sting of rejection. Friendships, family scenarios, even kids growing up and leaving can all trigger this feeling. Being fired, demoted or passed over for a project in the workplace can do it too. Even someone seeming uninterested in talking to you in a social setting, being ignored at the gym or having a piece of creative work passed over might make you feel low in a similar way. I've often heard it said that some people are just wired differently, i.e. that some people can't handle rejection. But as you'll know if you listen to all the previous podcasts, I don't subscribe to the idea of an inherent inability to cope. Different sensitivities exist, sure, but not to the extent that we can't do anything about it. The way we react to rejection is a habitual response, and more often than not, we're projecting our past experiences onto it. If you find it hard, terrifying even, it's likely that you've had experiences of rejection in your early life that really did feel like the end of the world, and that no one has ever modelled for you how to cope with someone else not wanting you, or helped you to realise that it's more about them than you and that either way, you'll be fine. My guest on this episode is Jason Phillips, a licensed therapist and confidence expert. He is a US-based mental health therapist, life coach and college professor, and has been featured in WebMD, Forbes, Fox, NBC, Cosmopolitan and BuzzFeed. Jason's peace and prosperity coaching practice helps people to improve confidence, self-love and tackle issues like self-doubt and rejection. His frank, direct, but compassionate approach is designed to make his insight and expertise accessible. And he has ideas about vulnerability that are very much aligned with my own. So Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. I am excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So I know that rejection hurts, we all know that, but why does it affect us the way that it does? Well, rejection can be a huge sting to a lot of us. When you think about rejection, it's the act of being told no, whether that's in the form of a relationship, whether that's with an employer, whether that's with a friend. And anytime we're told no, it can really hit us. It can hit our self-esteem. It can hit our self-confidence and the way we look at ourselves. Why do you think it feels like more of a vulnerability for some people than for others? I think for some of us, we take the rejection very, very personal. And it reminds us of, rejections that we've had in the past so for instance if we've we've been told no let's say for instance we're going out for a new job and we don't get the job now this reminds us of when we were told no as a child 
whether we couldn't afford something, whether we wanted to date somebody or we, we liked somebody in class in grade school and they didn't like us or they teased us back, all of that is a form of rejection. And we can say that that means that I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. So there's a story that we're telling ourselves beyond the actual surface rejection. So it's not just about what's happening in the moment. It's sort of reaching back into the past as well. Most times, yes. The The harder we take to know, the more it reminds us of, of a bigger hurt before. Like if, if I'm on the street and somebody asks me to buy something and I tell them no, they may not take that personal because they don't know me. There's no relationship. But if you and I are, are dating and I say, hey, do you want to try something new or I have this surprise for you and you say, no, I don't like it. But now I'm taking this very personal because I had feelings involved. And now this reminds me of when my feelings were hurt previously. So typically the stronger the hurt, the earlier back the, the wound goes or the stronger the feeling. So what do you think of this idea then that some people just can't cope with it? I think we tell ourselves that we can't because we haven't healed from our past hurts. And now when we're told no, and when we are uh, experiencing a form of rejection, we say that, what am I doing wrong? How come I'm not worthy of love? Or how come this person doesn't want me? Or why am I not advancing in my career? Uh, and when we tell ourselves these things over and over, we start to believe it. So now when we show up in the world, we're showing up looking for validation, looking for praise, looking for constant attention. And as you know, we can't always receive that. We can't always look for somebody else to pour into us and, and satisfy our need to be, uh, to feel validated and to, to feel worthy. So what do you think are some of the most common re reactions to rejection? I think the first one that stands out is shame. That is the one that sticks out the most because when we experience rejection, we like to, to turn inward. And now it starts to show up on our face, how we how we show up and how we look, our affect. We may be really mopey. We may call somebody and want to tell them about, hey, can you believe this happened to me? Like, I, I hear this a lot, especially with people who I work with who are around like 30, 35, and maybe they're single, not married, but want to be married, and the relationship is not working out. So now when they think, okay, this is this is the one, this is the girl of my dreams, I'm gonna set the date, I'm gonna propose, and you know what? She says, ah, we're moving a little bit too fast, or I wanna take a break, the dreadful break. So now we think, oh my gosh, here I am, 35, year, 35 years old, I want a, a marriage, I want a family, but she's telling me no, for whatever reason, whether the reason's valid or not, internally, it hurts us. So we're feeling the pain and the agony because in our head, we thought we were gonna have this loving, prosperous, fulfilling relationship. And because we've been rejected, this is another blow, not just mentally, but a blow emotionally, saying that I'm not good enough. What is wrong with me? And when we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and answer that question, typically it's something that we can't identify. So now we feel helpless 
and out of control of our own situation. So why can't we identify it? I think we haven't done the necessary work to peel back the layers to figure out why is this rejection hurting me so bad? Is it this individual? Is it this employer? Or is it a much deeper narrative that I just haven't solved? And a lot of us haven't done the deep internal work to look at where do these wounds stem from? You know, going to therapy or even having a, a great coach, it takes a lot of vulnerability to say, I need help in this area. I'm not strong enough on my own to, to solve this, or it's just too too much has happened, so we have to sort up, sort it all out. And when we do this in our heads, we talk to ourselves, we may vent to a friend, but that's not the same as actually sitting down with the professional who has the tools and the skill set to help you kind of tease out where exactly is this hurt coming from, and now what are we telling ourselves because of this most recent rejection? But that that's a whole process in itself. So these are like the core beliefs that you have about yourself. Yes, and, and a lot of us, we're not aware of what those core beliefs are and what they look like. We know the thoughts on the day-to-day, -day, but the core beliefs, as you know, they're strong. They've been there, they're like rocks, and it's hard to move them. And actually, like, I think the process of sitting with your core beliefs, because often core beliefs are not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we were all floating around the world with core beliefs that we are worthy and, you know, everything, like, we would be a very different human race, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons we avoid the core beliefs is because it hurts to acknowledge A, the belief, and B, where it's come from. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, too, the core beliefs are made up of a lot of, automatic negative thoughts. So these automatic negative thoughts that we have, they come to our mind so rapidly that we can't even slow them down and look at how hundreds and thousands of these automatic negative thoughts form these really um, not so nice, as you said, core beliefs. Because typically we're not showing up in the world saying that I am the, the best person or I am loving, we are usually telling ourselves, I don't deserve love. Look at, look at where I am. And there's all of these statements that we, that we share, but they come from on a day-to-day -day basis, feeling that hurt. And if we don't actually work through it, then we'll see the same forms of rejection show up over and over again, just in different facets of our life. And it's not because we're having the same experiences, it's because we're looking at it with the same lens. So it feels like, and it looks like the same experience, but it's really different. Someone might be listening to this and, and thinking, well, I don't tell myself I'm not worthy of love. Mm -hmm. Because it, it, it's deeply buried, isn't it? So what would you say are the signs of, of a problematic core belief like that? Mm, so one, you're right, we don't, we don't just, talk about that or, or identify those core beliefs so easily and willingly. So a lot of times when I'm working with someone, we may start off with the very surface level. What is, what's wrong with me? I hear that a lot. What's wrong with me? Why am I, why can I figure out my career, but I can't figure out my love life or vice versa. So then I always ask them, what's the answer to that question? And then we have to pause 
and look at what am I, how am I answering that question? And then usually we go about 10 thoughts down. So we start with the, the surface level thought of what's wrong with me or why can't I figure this out? But then we have to go, okay, what are you thinking after that? What's after that? What's after that? And it takes a while. And I'm usually writing this so that we can visually see it because when we talk about it, we can talk ourselves in circles. So this is why it is it's very layered. And I think there's a tendency, there's a, always a part of you that wants to hide from these thoughts as well. So getting to the core of them, like you mentioned shame there. And I think, I don't know about you, but my reaction when I feel shame is it's like a full body reaction. It completely blots out everything else. So it's quite difficult to connect to what you're actually thinking when you feel shame. And shame is something a lot of people feel in response to rejection, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. We feel the shame and we don't want to be that open and honest with ourselves, let alone somebody else. These feelings are, are buried deeply inside of us. So if someone sort of hasn't made that connection um, and they're having, you know, a, a reaction to rejection, but not really realizing it. So kind of a disguised reaction. What would you say are the most typical disguised reactions? when it comes to rejection? Mm, I would say, yeah, we put on a good front that things are okay. So I will look at overworking. So spending a lot of time just throwing yourself into work or if you notice yourself not wanting to do anything. So you're just staying away from everybody. You're isolating. You're not showing up to events. You're not, um, you know, visiting family. We may not always make the connection that that's us dealing with rejection, but we don't want to show people how we're doing and because of that we start to exhibit these signs of depression and anxiety and feeling stressed out uh, often i hear people say i don't want people to ask me how am i doing or, or or what do i have going on because i don't feel like i'm where i'm supposed to be so if you are having any of those thoughts or those feelings then that's a sign that we could be hiding our, our rejection what would you say to someone who has a really angry response to rejection? First, I will let them sit with that anger and I will want to hold space for them so that they feel comfortable enough to trust me with whatever's going on be beyond the anger. What are they upset about? Because before we need to respond with a solution, people need to feel like they can trust that we have their best interests and we're not judging them. So a lot of times people don't want to be angry because they don't want to be looked at as the angry person or they don't want to exhibit those signs of anger and frustration because they don't want people to judge them. So the first thing I would do is allow them to feel comfortable expressing whatever emotion they have, whether that's anger, sadness, or frustration. After that, I would ask them, what's, what's on your mind? and let them tell me what's driving the anger. Before we try to challenge these thoughts or feelings or even go for solutions, just let them say what's on their mind. And I will listen to what they're not saying. Because often, even when people feel safe, we're still not safe enough or we don't have the words to articulate exactly what it is this driving that anger. So I would, I would keen in on, on that. Like, what are they not saying 
that I'm picking up on. And what would be some kind of typical examples of what people aren't saying? So somebody may say, hey, I'm, I'm again, if, we, if you're using relationships, they've been rejected. Now they're on a break and it's leading, it's looking like this relationship will not thrive. So one thing that they may not say is what does this break mean to you? Or what does this loss mean to you? Because typically we're not, we're not looking at the relationship as a loss. We're looking at this as somebody told me that they don't want to be with me and I'm hurt. But now this is another loss. So what does this loss remind you of? And I would let them kind of connect the dots between, okay, experiencing these emotions now reminds me of when I experienced this back then. And then I would ask, have, how did you work through that then? And typically that person will say, well, I didn't. I just kept pushing. I just threw myself into school or I just started to take care of other people. But rarely do I hear people say, I poured into myself and I allowed myself to sit with those feelings. Have you noticed any sort of common similarities between the way men and women would respond to rejection or is it very much down to the individual? I would say some similarities and then there's some uh, very big differences. So one, with women, when they are experiencing rejection, they're, they're talking about it much more openly and rapidly. So, for instance, if a, a woman is going through a, a difficult loss or, you know, being told no, they're picking up the phone, they're scheduling a consultation, they're saying, hey, I want to work through this, and they're very consistent with it. With men, typically, this is probably like, like the third or fourth, maybe even the fifth big rejection in their life. And, you know, now working out didn't work. Working two jobs or putting in extra hours didn't work. So we feel like, okay, now my health is starting to get impacted. I'm not able to focus. We wait until things are really kind of like we're on our last leg before men say, you know what, I want to deal with this. I want to talk about this. Why do you think that is? The pride. Mm -hmm. we, we, you know, as men, we, we are fixers. So we feel like, hey, how can I fix this on my own? Or this is just a part of life. So let me push through it. We don't want to be seen as weak. And we feel like if we talk about our feelings of rejection, that's going to be looked at. We'll be looked at as being weak by doing so, which is totally the opposite. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this is what this podcast is about. Like it's very vulnerable to share feelings of rejection, but actually mm -hmm. it's also an opportunity to grow stronger as a result of doing that. It's a big opportunity. If we can seize that opportunity, I was watching a clip of uh, Michael Jordan, like uh, something, something on Instagram or social media, where he said he missed, I don't know, I think 9,000 shots in his career and maybe 50 game-winning shots. But the point was that he didn't give up because of that. It actually made him better. So with us, when we experience rejection, as opposed to turning inward, and isolating ourselves from other people, what we actually should do is have conversations like this where we identify what we are feeling so we can grow stronger from that and teach others that it's okay to not be okay or to feel these feelings in that moment. 
I think also when it comes to shame, there is so much freedom in just sort of being like, yeah, I've just been rejected rather than sort of sitting there and going, no, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, like trying to hide the shame, suppress the shame rather than actually being like, yes, I am a rejectee. (laughs) Yeah. Similar to a a physical injury. When we get hurt, sometimes we want to push through it and we don't want to be taken out of the game because we don't want to be that person that can't work through this injury. Um, But when you play on that injury, it typically gets way worse. Now you end up costing yourself, maybe jeopardizing the team when we should have just said, Hey, I need, I need a breather and let the trainer help you out. The same thing with our emotional wounds too. When we try to push through, uh, it, it doesn't work out in the long run. We end up hurting more people because we were, negligent or we didn't want to say you know what my heart's not well right now i need some time for me so i mean this seems like a good moment to talk about abandonment issues because i think they can make rejection feel a lot more intense um so how would you describe those and how might they affect someone who is being rejected as an adult i would i think that being abandoned or the feeling of being abandoned it's very strong, it's very deep. And again, it, it looks at, it forces us to look at our self, um, our self identity. So who are we and who loves us? When you look at how were you shown love as a child, whether you had both parents in the home or, or not, a lot of times our attachments are built from those childhood relationships. So when we're, if we feel like we were rejected as a child, and we didn't get that love from a single parent that we really wanted the love from. Now we're looking to fix that in our adult relationships. So when the relationship as an adult doesn't work out, now it's like, okay, I'm being abandoned now as a 32-year-old. But I was abandoned as a two-year-old too. Okay, so this must mean there's something wrong with me because I'm in constant situations I'm being told no and people are not caring for me or I'm not being shown the love that I truly desire that's how abandonment continues to show up and just to sort of make the point that you as a child for abandonment to affect you like you don't have to have just been physically abandoned there are all sorts there's a whole spectrum isn't there like um if your caregiver wasn't consistent in their attention or you know Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So they maybe they weren't physically present or they were not emotionally present. Mm-hmm. So I, oft, I often ask people when I'm um, doing like a first uh, assessment or session with them, did you experience any emotional abuse or emotional neglect? And they often think like, okay, well, they, they pause on that because we don't, think about, you know, if our parents were working a lot or if our parents are really uh, verbally abusive to us, that all of these can lead to feelings of abandonment. Yeah, or even just a parent who was kind of struggling with their own stuff and basically just wanted mm-hmm. you to be quiet and stay out of the way or... Yeah. And I'm making this point because I think a lot of us carry an abandonment wound, but we won't acknowledge it unless there has been some form of what we'd recognize as event trauma, you know, like a big thing or series of events that the world at large would view as trauma. But actually it can be 
smaller things that perhaps you didn't see in your childhood. Um, and then not to sort of create a situation where you have to walk around with an abandonment wound from the, for the rest of your life, but that acknowledging it begins the healing process. Yeah, it allows you to feel like I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And this is why healing in, in group spaces and community spaces and even conversations like these are so powerful because somebody can listen to this, not ever have a direct conversation with either one of us and feel like, okay, somebody else gets it. Somebody else understands because when it's just us and we're out there alone, it just reinforces the trauma, the embarrassment, the guilt, because we'll think that it was our fault. So now we continuously punish ourselves for things that we honestly had no control over. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, that it takes away the shame when you hear other people have had a shared experience or similar experience. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I really love when people share. I mean, we all, like, you may go through something and a friend may say, oh, yeah, that, that happened to me too. And as, as long as they don't invalidate what you're saying or try to dominate and take away from you expressing yourself, now there's a sense of comfort. Like, okay, this is a safe space. And maybe you all share how you both work through that situation as opposed to feeling like, oh, you just need to get over it. And that, what you've described really is the power of vulnerability, I think. Mm-hmm. Bravery to, to make yourself vulnerable like that and the connection that follows. Yeah, and I think as men, we're working towards doing that much more, but mm-hmm. it's a slow process. Yeah. I don't know if you've um, seen the Brené Brown, have you, have you listened to any Brené Brown stuff? I do, but I'm not familiar with all of her works, but I do listen to some of it, yeah. She's got a story about how she was doing a book signing and, you know, her book is about the power of vulnerability and it was all aimed at women. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently a a man came up to her and was like, why why doesn't your work ever really speak about men? And she was like, well, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. And the guy was like, I can't remember exactly what he said. It was something like, it's the women in my life who are the most insistent that I don't get off my white horse. As in, women can make it so much harder for men not to sweep in and be the hero and they don't want to see a man crying or vulnerable. So it's quite a tricky Yeah. I, I do hear that. Um, right now I work with um, quite a few men, most majority men, and I've heard that where men who are struggling with trauma have said, you know, my, my wife is concerned because she looks at me as like this, the big brawny, muscular, powerful guy. I lead our household. And for me to be dealing with things from the past, she's she's c- concerned. She's now she's giving me she's treating me like with with the white gloves and like, am I OK? And, and always asking about me and worrying about me. And I don't think she's too much likes me being this vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the same with people when they have daughters in their house where they feel like, hey, now my I don't want my, my teenage daughter worrying, is daddy okay? Or, you know, why am I talking about these things from my past? Or why am I requiring medication to heal from certain emotional wounds all of these things come into place for men when we think about how do we work through 
our mental and emotional health and be inclusive with our family without now being looked at as being fragile. Yeah, there's a lot of social conditioning that needs to change, isn't there? Yeah, there is a lot, a lot. Um, So what kind of, because one of the reasons I was drawn to your Instagram is because you talked about the benefits of rejection. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What kind of mindset shift does it take to see the positives in rejection? I think it takes us looking at rejection as not a weakness, not a hindrance. So the mindset, let me give you an example. Let's say for instance, you are rejected from a promotion and now you feel like, man, I'm so upset that I didn't. And I'll use myself as an example. I was going after a, a certain position and I didn't get it. And I was hurt, I was bummed out, I felt like I had the experience, and I talked to a mentor who was a female mentor, and she said, well, you need to go back and enhance your resume with this, this, and that. So now I had the clarity to now go for the opportunity again and grow from it and learn from it. But I had to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I need some help because I'm not figuring this out on my own. And once I followed the steps that she advised me to do, I was able to secure the position over and over again. So the mindset shift was not that I'm a failure, but I need help to grow. And that's a there's a big difference when you look at yourself as I'm a failure because a failure doesn't just stops. You just quit. And if I need help to grow, this is a normal part of life. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. So what are the other, you kind of mentioned one there, but what are the other benefits of rejection? Some examples. Yeah, yeah. Other benefits are you allow yourself for new opportunities. Sometimes we we want something so bad or some person so bad that we fail to look at. There's a whole lot of other life over here that I just haven't opened myself up to. Because I was so, I had tunnel vision on this particular area or this arena. So that's one benefit. We get a chance to look at things from a more holistic perspective. Also, it it builds up our confidence. Being rejected allows you to sharpen your skill set, sharpen your abilities. If you allow it to, there's nothing wrong with being told no or having a particular rejection in your life. But if we allow that to be the narrative, then we'll stay stuck there. But I look at if if rejection is is being told no or a short-term loss or failure, that's great because it gives us another opportunity to get it right. So the problem isn't the rejection, it's the narrative we attach to it. Yes, it's how we look at it. Okay. So how could you, what would you recommend to someone who's struggling? Like how can someone cope better with rejection? First, identify where is, like what is the actual rejection? And is this something that is, that that stems from something, does it remind us of something from earlier in our lives? The second thing, what do we need to do to emotionally heal from this? Not just physically, not just the tangibles, but what does this rejection mean to you? 
because once you can identify that, then you can start to change the narrative of what it looks like. And then ask yourself, lastly, what did I learn from this? Before I just move on, what did I learn? What was the eye opener? Did I not try hard enough? Was I not prepared? Was I going for something that's not truly in alignment with what I value? Those are some tough questions and we have to sit with them, but that's how we learn and grow from any type of rejection, no matter what it is. So how do you stop yourself? Because that sounds like taking responsibility, but I would imagine it could also sort of leak into blaming yourself. How do you make sure that you're not, that you are giving yourself an opportunity to grow and not weighing yourself down with shame and blame? The two words that stand out would be appropriate responsibility. So how do you look at what's happened and take appropriate responsibility for what's what what was your role in it because you probably didn't control everything but we like to control a lot of things but if you look at okay i couldn't control how this person received me but i could control how consistent i was with communicating what i wanted and needed from this relationship or i couldn't control the job description but what i can control is are my attributes and does my resume clearly reflect what I bring to the table? So is that what it comes down to then? What you could control and what you couldn't? And what you cannot. Yep. And, and again, we have to take some accountability, but not make it personally about us. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a big balance in that because I think sometimes we like to overextend ourselves and say well I didn't do this this and that well in reality we may not have had control over all of those factors but there are some things that we can do really really well and just make sure that we show up in those areas so the key it sounds like is self-reflection like taking the time to actually sit with it rather than being overwhelmed by feelings and then running off to numb them (laughs) right 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 yeah it's a it's a big balance in doing that Mm self-reflection Okay, so I usually finish these podcasts by asking what's your one note on vulnerability? So that's the one thing that you want anyone listening to this to take away from our conversation. Whew, that's a good question. I was The one thing, if you don't remember anything else, vulnerability is a tool for healing. That's, that's, that's it. it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. I don't want to overcomplicate it. No, no, I like it. It's concise. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's been a really interesting chat. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. This has been Notes on Vulnerability, and I've been Alex, your host. If you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it, don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips, ideas and support. I'm a resilience coach, and you can find me on Instagram at alexshorecoaching, S-H-O-R-E or online at www.shaw-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at Notes on Vulnerability.